This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. My co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, is not with us today as uh, she had a death in her uh, daughter's school class. A little boy was hit by a cab in New York City and killed. And Heidi's there supporting the family right now. So our best wishes go to Heidi and to the family suffering the loss of their little little fellow. Uh, We have a really interesting show today. It's on missing children, and my good friend Todd Matthews is joining me on the show. Hi, Todd. Hello. How are you? Good. And uh, our second guest is going to be uh, Theresa Friedas, um, who uh, is not on the show yet, but hopefully she will be later. But uh, we've got an important topic in talking about missing children And I know this is very key for a lot of people out there who have family members that have gone missing, and maybe for years. Uh, Theresa's son, Jacob Witt, was 21 years old when he went missing in 1997. And in 2002, DNA tests confirmed that a body buried in a John Doe grave in Texas uh, was Jacob. And you can imagine, uh, well, Todd, I can only imagine how this is for family members. It must be unbelievable. And I know you work for the federal government in this field, and I want to get to what you're doing. But but uh, tell me about family members who've got these missing children. Well, that's 21. That's the age of my own adult son right now. So I can only imagine what Teresa went through. Uh, she, there's no way you could think of this person as an adult. And my son is very upset with me mm-hmm. at times because, because I still consider him a child, and I guess I will forever. So uh, that that loving mommy is, is still there. You know, you want to protect your child and to not know who your child is for so many years. It's just heartbreaking. It, it was an incredible, you know, he was gone for 13 years before there was an identification. The other issue, Todd, I was wondering about is you don't know how they died. I mean, after 13 years, you have the bones, um, you know, and maybe some clothes or some telltale evidence. But uh, they said that uh, her son uh, died by suicide, and uh, Teresa did not believe that. Um, Is that the case? I mean, how many people, you know, how often it is that we find missing people and we don't know how they died? Well, it's it's so easy, you know, especially if bones have been scattered. Uh, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to determine how they died and if somebody actually caused it. And and this is very common for an investigating agent to say it's suicide and then a family not liking uh, that particular, you know, determination. But, you know, in this case, I can clearly see why she would have some questions, and I think that she has a lot of really valid questions to ask over circumstances. Uh, some public, some not public, that were, you know, around the scene. It makes us think that possibly more people could have been involved in it, or more people were in the area. So, you know, it's it's, it's something to want answers. You want to know what happened. It's not enough. And in Teresa's case, uh, he's buried. He was buried in a John Doe grave in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, and she wants to bring him back home, but she's had some difficulty with the cemetery and the, you know, the funeral home in regards to exhuming the body and bringing him back home. So and I know she's fought that fight a lot longer than I have, but uh, she's she's still having trouble, and it's, you know, four years later now, almost four years later, and she's still, uh, she's still not having any luck. 
I wanted to ask you, tell us about NamUs and, and about what the federal government's doing with remains, because that's probably part of the reason he was even found. Is that correct? Was it the DNA? Uh, it was, the, it was the DNA helped make the identification. It wasn't specifically NamUs, but NamUs is the first national missing and unidentified person's repository. So not just website, but also a biological repository. We have we try to store dental records, DNA, fingerprint profiles, so that medical examiners and investigating agencies can compare, so they can actually access the forensic uh, profiles of missing and unidentified persons, the actual biometric profiles, so that they can compare uh, the missing and the unidentified. And there's no other database that works quite that way. The public do have access to the NamUs database, but only to the surface data. They don't have access to the investigative area. It's important because we're all looking at the same set of information. It's just that law enforcement and investigative agencies can go deeper and they can see more information. But that helps you with quality. Uh, family members have actually pointed out corrections to information that's in a NamUs profile or a date that might be an error. So it's really important from a quality standpoint that the families have access to at least a portion of the data. Okay, now, so I'm listening to this show and I lost somebody, um, disappeared. 10 years ago, and I am saying, wow, there may be something I can do about this. What do I do? Where do I start? You're absolutely right. Just November of last year, I heard from an advocate for a family member. They asked how they could get a case into NamUs without a police report. I told them how to do it. You can enter a missing person's case into NamUs without a police report. It will not be published until it's validated and a law enforcement agency number is assigned to that case, but you can enter the case and at least get the ball rolling. Turns out that case had an identification within just a very short period of time, less than two months. When you say this to me, I am excited if I've lost somebody because you've empowered me. I don't have to go down those roads I've been going down. You've empowered me. So what do I do right now? I go onto my computer and I Google NamUs. What do I do? Just get me started. You can register for an account with NamUs and you can get a public user account that's active immediately. You'll go to the missing persons profile section of NamUs. It's easily found from NamUs.gov. Register for a user account. Very easy. And then open a profile to submit a new case. Wow. And that's exactly what this person did. My gosh. It is, because you're going to have a regional systems administrator that will contact you in regards to your submission. They're going to ask for the investigative agency in your area, and then they'll do a little outreach if necessary. It's better if it comes from law enforcement, but, you know, sometimes that's not going to happen. Sometimes the family or a victim's advocate have to empower themselves to move forward and submit the data just to get the ball rolling. And sometimes the agencies don't know about a case. Maybe maybe a missing person's report was attempted 15 years ago, but nobody ever came back to make sure that it happened. And people retire and, you know, leave yes. cases and police leave, and I can re restart things again. Are people going to be mad at me if if it's a case that they've worked on and given up on if I go into NamUs? No, I don't think so, because, you know, the government has given you an opportunity to try to have it reviewed and a new set of eyes. So nobody's really expecting anybody to do anything other than the systems administrator with NamUs. They will do whatever they can to work with you as an advocate and as a family member to get enough information. You know, any newspaper articles, anything that you have that shows that this person existed and are missing are going to be very instrumental in creating a profile. It could take time to get a full profile out in front of the public with law enforcement help, but you got to start somewhere. How many people are there out there, do you think, that... Well, you have a number of remains, don't you? We have. We, we are 
certain that there are over 40,000 unidentified bodies in the country. Oh, my gosh. So there are 40,000. Ah, you're not kidding. When you think of the whole family member, I mean, there are 40,000 people missing. Say people, uh, 10 people care about those people, just as throwing out a number. That's 10 times 40,000. What's that, 400,000 people out there looking for somebody or wondering what happened to them? And now they can go on Name Us and, and do this. This is very exciting. Well, it is, and it's time that people do this. We're finding all the time that there's a missing piece from these unidentified persons profile. The missing piece very well could be the failure of a missing persons report. Uh, it could be a case that we actually know that a person's missing, but we have no biometrics. We have no dental DNA or fingerprints to compare. So there's really nothing we can do. I heard from a family just today that found their missing loved one listed in NamUs but we didn't know who the next of kin was. So they have stepped forward offering photographs and they've offered family members for, for, for DNA testing, for family reference samples. They found their missing loved one on NamUs. It came in through a data exchange. So once they found the name, they're saying, hey, I'm here, I'm available to give you DNA. Or I got photographs. You know, they had it. So they found it there and now they're enriching the profile. And, you know, we could have a resolution because of it. So our, that's what our hope is. Well, it's just this one-stop shop. We have got to have this centralization. That is really wonderful that you're doing this work. And, you know, um, the thing is, you and I have talked about this before, when a child goes missing, you know, the alert goes up, Amber Alert or whatever, but when an adult goes missing, they have a right to go missing, right? And so people sometimes yes. uh, can't get any attention from the authorities, even if they think that they shouldn't have gone missing. Well, even if it's today, you know, like if, like if I said, if my wife goes missing today and there's not enough information to suggest that there was any foul play, that doesn't mean if she doesn't come home within the next five or ten years that I can't go back and try again. So that's literally what's happening with NamUs right now. We're hearing from families that might have made uh, an inquiry that didn't turn into a missing persons report at one time, and then they felt that they couldn't go back. And, and try to make it happen, or there really wasn't an advocate there like a nameless RSA to help walk them through the process. So it's our sole job in life is to facilitate the collection of this information. So you're coming to somebody, my only purpose for existing here is to help you get your information and get it into nameless and get it into comparison. So that's really good. Instead of somebody that has multiple jobs, my only job is to help you do this. Now, um, you have another thing besides NamUs where people can get in touch with you. Is that right? Uh, yes. I actually work with Doe Network. That's a volunteer organization. Say what Doe is. D- D-O-E, right? Mm-hmm. That's just uh, for John and Jane Doe. That was an organization we started years ago, back at the turn of this past century. Uh, and that was to focus on the unidentified remains, uh, hopefully to get enough information to get the information out there. Because the unidentified usually didn't, at the, especially at the time, didn't have an advocate. There was nobody that were speaking for the unidentified person. You'd see missing persons report, but no real unidentified in the media. It, it just wasn't happening the way that it happens now. Well, Theresa uh, Ferdis, thank you for being on our show today. And we were talking about your son, Jacob Witt, uh, 21 years old, who went missing in 1997. And we were talking about the federal uh, agency and with Todd and how uh, NamUs deals with it. And we want to have you come in on this. And first of all, let me say, I am so sorry about Jacob. What hell you must have gone through for so many years and finally, were you surprised when you were able to match up the forensics? 
Um, I'll be real honest with you. When they had called me, I had pretty much gave up after 12 years. I thought, we'll never, we just never know. And as hard as that was, you know, I mean, when something's out of your control. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really, I hate to say that, but I had just about thrown in the towel. Because I just had no idea. They had had my DNA for two years close to two years because they entered my DNA in 2008 and uh, I knew that they already had my DNA worked up. Mm-hmm. Now how did how did that happen that they uh, got your DNA? Did they approach you or did you approach them? I had been begging them. I had heard about the National DNA Data Bank and I had been begging them, please take my DNA and send it out to Texas and I kept asking and kept asking. Well, one law enforcement officer out in Texas said, we already have your DNA. I said, no, you don't. No one's ever took my DNA. So I guess he checked and said, you're right, we don't. So they contacted our law enforcement office here where I live in Florida, and a detective came out and did my DNA. And it takes about eight months to a year for your DNA to be worked up. It's not like TV. You know, it takes a while for your DNA um I guess it would be your your plate, like a DNA plate. How did you feel when they told you? Was it over the phone, or did they send you a letter? And what did, you know, how did you feel? Honey, they some man called me, and all he said to me, blurted out, says, yes, we have Jacob. Oh. I'll be honest with you, I collapsed, oh. and I had to hang up. And um, at that time, we had a private investigator. He's passed away since. And he called them to find out what was going on and why they were calling me saying things like that. And we come to find out that this uh, county in Texas had had my son. The 12 years that I've been looking for my son, they had had him in a John Doe grave. And I would have never known, but there was a new sheriff, and he decided he wanted some of the cold cases cleared up, so he told them, to enter my son's DNA in 2009. Well, I got the call in 2010. Wow. Well, things grind by slowly. Now, he's buried in Texas, and you've tried to get him back to Florida. And you're, and what, what's the problem with that? Um, because we, because they, when they investigated his remains, they said it was suicide. Now, I understand, you know, a body in the woods, in a, stuffed in a sleeping bag. Okay, you make a mistake. After they found out who he was, and I explained the circumstances of his disappearance, they refused to investigate. They wouldn't investigate. And I'm wanting to bring my son home. I don't want to bring him home. And then they're coming to Florida saying, well, we need to exhume him. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, he's laying in the John Doe grave that they placed him until I can find out if there's some way, and I've been fighting them for three years on this, but um, mm-hmm. there will come a time when if there's nothing else I can do or if everything is done that can be done, then I, I would like to have him moved home, yes. Todd, I wanted to ask you, when you hear this story, what are your thoughts on it? Sounds like a long time for one thing. It, it, it happens so much. You know, we've had cases where bodies were buried and there's a difficulty with uh, 
you know, because DNA was taken at the point of prior to burial and then going back to get them, uh, sometimes it's a difficult process. Sometimes they didn't have a permanent marker where that they can be easily located. It's, uh, it's, it's really more common than people realize. Wow. Um, what about the Doe Foundation? Uh, would they support uh, Teresa? Well, actually, the, the Doe Network is actually a nonprofit. They're, they facilitate, no, they collect no funding. They're 100% volunteer. Now, as far as moral support, uh, uh, verbal support, yeah, they would do everything that they could. And, you know, we've tried, I think, Teresa and I have tried several things over the past few years to try to get something done, but uh, I just don't know what else to do. Yes, they have. You know what I'm saying? They have helped as far as, you know, like Todd and I have gone through the years. He's gave me ideas, and we've tried this avenue. And when that didn't work, we tried another avenue. And, um, and, and I understand they can't help as far as support to pay for something, but it still matters. It still matters mm-hmm. when someone is there at least give bouncing ideas to you. Right. Because it's not like you can call the neighbor and ask because, first off, some, some people don't even want to talk about this because they act like if they start talking about it, it's going to happen to them. Yeah, well, you certainly find that in the grief and, and loss I'm world. not trying to be funny. No, it's true. Yeah, people, some people do have that reaction. Well, listen, I want to thank you, Teresa, for being on the show, and I want to thank Todd for being on the show, and I think this is really important because, Teresa, you're an example of persistence and a mom, a loving mom who cares about her son, and thank goodness you found him, and hopefully that you'll be able to resolve this case and, and find some comfort in uh, knowing that, that he's near to you and... Uh, and again, I'm sorry about your loss. And I guess when you do find him, you're glad you found him. But on the other hand, it, it hurts terribly to lose our loved ones. And Todd, thank you so much for all the work you do with um, NamUs and with the Doe Foundation. And good luck on uh, promoting a new book that's coming out uh, in the spring, right? Or summer? What's the name of the book? Uh, in July. It's in July. July. So uh, we're, we're hoping to address a lot of these cases in that. And and use the opportunity to get more information out there to help people like Teresa that's waited for so long to get her answer. Absolutely. Well, Teresa, thank you for calling in, and Todd, thanks for being on the show today. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the show, and join us again next week for some more Grief Relief. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.